good morning. It's great to be here uh, amongst friends, amongst family. As Ruth already said, I was here, part of this church, for, uh, for four years. And, uh, and so it's always a joy whenever I get to come back here and be part of what God is doing through you guys and amongst us uh, together as a family because we are one church in two locations uh, serving God together on a mission together uh, to serve God in the cities that we are part of. And, uh, and God's doing some great things in Belfast. I bring blessings and, uh, and, and greetings from, uh, from your family over there in Northern Ireland. And, and Brian is over there speaking right now. And uh, actually, yeah, he'll be preaching right now. Hopefully, if he's on time, he'll be starting to wrap up, uh, to ready to hand back to the band. And I'll get that feedback later on. And I can tell him, Brian, you were on time or not. Um, <laughs> but it's so great to be here, and uh, we're going to dive straight into the Word of God. But I want to start this morning by making a declaration before you all and telling you that I am stinking rich. I'm so rich. I am I, 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 I'm loaded. If you are wearing clothes right now, if you have a phone in your pocket, you can pat yourself on the back and say, I'm stinking rich as well. I fall within the top 10% of the wealthiest in the world. I have multiple clothing options. I don't know what you had to struggle through this morning in opening up your closet to make a decision of what to wear. And yet some of us sometimes have the audacity to open up our closets and go, I have nothing to wear today. You struggle with that sometimes? I've gradually been on a process, partly due to my wife, um, of, of culling half of my wardrobe. And now if you open up my wardrobe, all my clothes are either black, white, gray, or khaki. That, that is it. But it makes my choices really easy uh, when it comes to what to wear. But I don't know what you look or what you go through when it comes to thinking about your level of wealth. Hands up this morning. Let's not be ashamed in this. Hands up who went to the toilet. Just a quick show of hands. Who went to the toilet when you woke up? If you haven't been to the toilet yet, go to the doctor, check your bladder. Like, it's probably a problem. But I'm sure each of you have been to the toilet today. And if you have, you may have pulled a handle, pulled a cord, whatever, and water came out and flushed away whatever you did. You fall within some of the wealthiest people in the world. Almost one billion people go to the toilet outside in the open or behind a bush. Hopefully you didn't have to do that today. In 47 countries, less than half the population has a proper toilet. In my house alone, I have multiple options of where to get water from. I can go upstairs, downstairs, outside. Maybe you've got multiple bathrooms in your house. You have to choose, where am I going to get my water from today? We have multiple options. Yet around the world today, 663 million people live without safe water. You are stinking rich. You have options available. In Africa, most people use 20 liters of water a day at most. If you took a shower for 90 seconds today, you used up the same amount of water as someone in Africa would use for a whole day. You are rich. And I don't point this out to make you feel guilty. I don't point this out to make you feel rotten and horrible. I want us at this moment just to recognize the blessing that we have, the wealth that we have, to, to see that what we have, the fact that we have multiple choices of what to drink, what to eat. You came in this morning, someone hopefully offered you a, a drink of coffee or tea or, or something to eat. You've been given opportunities to eat and drink even as you've walked in this morning. Some of you right now are chewing down on a donut or a croissant and drinking a cup of tea. Go at it. Drink. Eat away. Don't sit there feeling guilty and like, I shouldn't eat this. 
I'm awful. Don't enjoy it. But I think what we need to recognize at this point in our lives is that we are all blessed. There is a blessing that is upon us just because of where we live. And it's not for us to feel guilty by that. But we need to start a process in our minds and our hearts to think about what is that blessing that we have and what do I do with it to make a difference in somebody else's life? To not lord our wealth and to collect things and to become hoarders, but rather to think about the spiritual blessing that we have in order to be a blessing to others. Blessed in order to be a blessing. How God can take, this is what I want to talk about today, how God can take the little or the much that you have and that's important right now, the little or the much you have. Because some of us, and may, maybe you're here this morning thinking, I'm a student, I've got nothing. Friends, you've got a roof over your head, you've got a bed to sleep in, you have something. The little that you have, or the much that you have, the opportunity that you have, all of us have the same amount of time in the day. We can't make more time or, or spend more time. We all have the same amount of time in each day, but it's us to think about what do we do with that in order to be a blessing to others the little or the big, to see God's kingdom come here in this city, here beyond the walls of this city. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the Word of God, and we're going to work through a well-known story this morning to think about this theme that I want to lead us through of generosity. And so I'm just going to pray, God, would you just by your Spirit just come open our eyes to see what you're wanting to speak to us about this morning. We want to be your students in this moment. We want to steward this time well to, uh, to learn and to grow um, as a community here so that we can see your kingdom come in this city, in these lands, in these days. In your name we ask. Amen. For those of you who don't know me, I'm, uh, I'm English. Don't hold that against me. Um, I, I awkwardly walked through uh, St. George's Square yesterday where it was, everyone was raving Scottish flags and I felt really out of place. It was a nationalist rally going, we're not British. Um, Go at it, whatever you want to do. Um, <laughs> let's not get into politics this morning. Uh, but um, I've, got a, I've got a family. I lead the church in Belfast, and uh, I've got two young kids. I've got a three-year-old who started nursery this week. Uh, he looks so cute going out in his uniform with a backpack on. Uh, I've got a six-month-old who started crawling this week, uh, and I've got a wife who started a brand-new job this week. So my life this week has suddenly gone crazy, starting a whole different schedule, trying to work out life in a different season. But it's fun, and God's doing some incredible things through, uh, through the church and through us as a family, and we're just so blessed to be in the season that we're in. Uh, so that's a little bit about me. But we're going to dive into this story, and it's the story of, uh, of this boy and the offering that he gives to Jesus, which then sees a multitude fed. And I want to leave us hopefully feeling encouraged, but also thinking through what does it look like for us to take the blessing that we have in order to be a blessing to others. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John 6. I'm going to read the story through, and then we're going to work back through different parts of it at a time. So John 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each, of, each one of us to have a bite. 
Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all that they had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five, five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. I'm going to give us five points this morning, and we're going to run through them fairly quickly. The first one, and we look at, if we go back to the text and look at verse 6, it says this, He asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. The first point, God is in control. God is in control. In this moment, Jesus already had in mind what needed to be done in order to feed the people. You see, isn't it so true that in our own lives, we so often question God's judgment? We question what on earth is going to happen? Why has this situation come about? What on earth is happening? In the but God is in control. The people came to him, he saw the issue, and, and he already knew what needed to be done. You see, God wants all the time to draw us more and more in line with his plans and purposes he wants us to recognize that he is the author of life, of, of all of creation. Since the beginning of time, if we go back to Genesis, that God created the heavens and the earth, that he created man, he created woman, he created all the stars and the planets and the, and the creatures on the earth. He made it all. God is in control, but yet we have the audacity many times to question the creator. He is the one who holds the stars in the palm of his hand. We read in Isaiah 41.10, So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a wonderful promise in Scripture. That no matter what we're going through, that he will uphold us. He will secure us. He will, he will work for us on our behalf. He says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will strengthen you and help you. Luke 12, 22 to 26 says, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what, you, or what your body what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you can by, can by worrying add a single hour to his life since you cannot do this very little thing? Why do you worry about the rest? There is something about the control of God that throughout scripture that we see that he is the one who holds it all together. Since the beginning of creation, he is the one who holds it all together. God is in control. But we read on and let's look again at verse 7 through to 9. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among us with so many? Andrew and Philip make excuses. They begin to think, surely this isn't enough. There's not even going to be a bite, a mere morsel for everybody that 
that's seated here. Remember, there's, the text says that there's 5,000 men, but that doesn't account for the, probably the 5,000 women plus the 5,000 children. Potentially, there could be anywhere from 12 to 15,000 people gathered on this hillside. And, and they're saying, this boy's got this small packed lunch. But they begin to doubt. You know, isn't it true, and this is the second point, that in spite of God's control, we doubt God. That we question God. We, we, we think that we know best. And we hold back thinking that we have all the answers, that we are the ones who are in control. In Mark's account of this story, in Mark 6, verse 38, it says, how many loaves do you have? This is Jesus. Go and see. I love that language that, that Mark puts into this story. Go and see that Jesus directly looks to the disciples and says, go and see. Go and take a look around and see what there is. Stop asking me those questions which insinuate doubt within your hearts but rather just go and look and use your eyes and begin to look around and just see. Just have a look. You see, number three, the point I want to make is this, that there is always more resource available, but we just don't see it. From the hardness of our hearts, from the callousness of our minds, we struggle to see that which God has provided because the first point was that God is in control, but through our doubt, we begin to question where is this resource going to come from Jesus responds to the disciples' plea to send them home. This is what Mark says. The disciples ask, well, just send us home. Way easier. It just solves the problem straight away because it's not on us to deal with this problem. Just send them home, and then it's their issue. They can find food for themselves. We can just go back our own way. Maybe we'll just go get a little bite at a diner on the way back, and it'll be fine. It's not our issue. But there was something more that Jesus was wanting to do amongst the people because there is always more resource available, but oftentimes we just don't see it because we don't have eyes to see that which God is wanting to break out in our midst. Jesus says, go and see. Go look around for what we need. You see, here's a question for us to think about as we look at this story because for many of us, we know this story. If we've been around church any amount of time, we know this story of the feeding of the 5,000 and, and the miraculous miracle that it is. But do you really think that in the midst of this crowd of thousands, tens of thousands of people, that the boy, this young boy was the only one to have brought a packed lunch? Do you really think that he's the only one who had means on him in order to feed himself? But the thing with this moment is that the boy was the only one willing to offer, offer up a sacrifice and be obedient enough to give the food to the, to the disciples. Jesus says to the disciples, go and see, because he knew that there was more amongst the people. And he knew that there was going to be one willing to bring a sacrifice. Because amongst this people, there was, there was bound to be more than just this one small boy who'd thought ahead, I will bring some lunch with me. The boy was willing to bring the sacrifice. But here's the, th here's the fun thing, that as the boy gave away his lunch, he did not know what Jesus was going to do with it. He had no idea what was going to happen. He was just obedient in offering it up. We often doubt our offering. We often doubt that thing that we give, the thing that we bring. We think it isn't enough, that it isn't good enough. So we hold back. Oftentimes we hold back and we don't give away and we don't do anything. We can sometimes see the enormity of a problem and we think to ourselves, I can't do it. What difference will it make if I give of this time? What difference will it make if I give this person this money? What difference will it make to the, to the problem of, of hunger in the world if I just give of this to this organization? Or, or, or we think of the enormity of a problem, maybe, maybe the buying of a new building, and we think... I could, what I have to give does not account to anything. It's a drop in the ocean. It, it won't matter. 
And so we don't give, we don't bring because we think it won't make a difference. If we look back to verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, you see, if there wasn't a crowd, if there was no crowd coming down the hillside, there would be no need for the miracle to take place. There'd be no need for the miracle to take place. In order for a miracle to take place, there has to be a problem that needs to be solved. You see, oftentimes we like to operate within the means through which we can deal with things by our own strength, in the safety, in the comfort. You know, so many, if we read the, uh, there's another story we could look at of the disciples when, when one of the disciples had the audacity to get out on the boat to walk with Jesus. You know what? All the other disciples in that moment would have been poking fun and going, what, you idiot, getting out of the boat. But they were safe in the boat. You don't know what the miracle is going to take place until you step out of the safety and the comfort. But so many of us like to stay in the safe and the comfort of a boat. We like to stay in the safe place. And we don't like to get out and just see what might be available, what might happen if we leave our comfort zone. For the miracle to take place, there needed to be a problem that needed to be solved. Jesus saw the great crowd coming down the hill, and he knew there was a problem that needed to be solved. When we can achieve it by ourselves, when we can make it, when we can build it, when we can do it by ourselves, there is no need for a miracle. That is a God-given gift that you can accomplish and, and do something about it yourself. But for a miracle to take place, we need to be unable to accomplish it by ourselves. And that's where we begin to look to God and say, it's I'm out. I can't do this. I need you. I need breakthrough. But the disciples in this moment were like, just send them home. We can't deal with this. Jesus, just send them home. But Jesus says to them, go and see. Go and see. In Mark's gospel, we read that Jesus had great compassion on the people because he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. In verse 5 of John's account, he turns to Philip and says, where shall we buy bread? for these people to eat. Jesus calls each of us to participate in the making of the miracle that was about to take place. He says, where shall we? He includes, every, he includes the disciples. He says, we're going to go on a mission now to solve this problem because there's a miracle that's going to take place, but it's going to involve all of us getting involved. And this is so true for each of us here who call this our church, who are part of God's kingdom plan for the nations, for the city of Glasgow and beyond, that he calls each of us to participate in the bringing about of a miracle. He wants each of us to use our God-given potential, our skills, our time, our money, all to make a difference because amongst us, there is always more resource available, but oftentimes we just don't see it. But we've got to remember, God is in control. Sometimes we have the audacity to doubt on God, but there is always more resource available. Verse 11, we'll keep going through. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. The fourth point to make this morning is that we each have the means to be part of the miracle. Just pause for a moment and think again about this story. Do you really think that it was the boy, the little boy who had packed his lunch that morning? I very much doubt it. within that culture at that time, it would have been the mum who would have made the lunch. She would have been the one who would have been looking after the son. The, the, the dad may have been off fishing, collecting the goods for the day. The, the mum would have been at home looking after the boy, and she would be the one who would pack the lunch for the boy. But as she was packing the lunch, as she was putting in those, the bit of bread and the bit of fish, 
She had no idea that what she was packing into that box was the means for the miracle that was going to take place on the hillside later on amongst the thousands of people. She had no idea. And so as she sat there alongside her son, who she's just seen take this to Jesus, she's thinking, what is he doing? That's just, I, I, I did that. I packed that lunch. What? I made it for him. What, what, what's he doing with it? And, and the little boy had the obedience to take it to Jesus, to offer it up. And then before she knew it, before her very eyes, this lunch became a feast that became a feast that became a feast that kept feeding and kept feeding and kept feeding. And everybody, it says in the text, was filled. Every single person on the, on the hillside was filled to the point that the baskets were left overflowing. There was still food left over. And this woman was sat there, this mom of the boy who she'd packed that lunch this morning and, and probably thought nothing of it. She'd given it away and it become this miraculous feast. You see, each and every one of us, what we bring, what we make, what we create, has the ability within it to be a miracle for somebody else. We just need to be willing to release it. We just need to recognize that God is in control, that sometimes we doubt and we need to see that there is more resource available and what we have, what we give, has the ability to, to, to create something which is going to be a miracle for somebody else. I think of when we planted Rehope Belfast. We've been going for two years now. And one of the only reasons why we were able to get going was because of you. It was because of you. Because of the miracle that you planted, the seed that you begun, the offering that you gave, the tithe that you put in, the, the money that was given into the Give Hope campaign, that then enabled the church to begin in Belfast. But as you were giving that money in advance of us launching the church, you had no idea what was going to happen. I had no idea what was going to happen. But what we've seen over the past two years is a miracle of God in motion. Is, is people coming to give their lives to Jesus. It's people being baptized. The church that's growing to the point that we've outgrown our building and we're now in the process of looking for a new building. Pray for us. Now that you've received the blessing, pray that the blessing will become a blessing for others. We're looking for a building. So I'd love for you to be praying for us. But you, as you gave of that money and as you gave into the Give Hope campaign, you had no idea that that thing that you were giving, that money that you gave, teams who've come over to paint and, and get the space ready of, uh, of, of teenage groups who came over uh, a year and a half ago or whatever it was to paint and, and to serve and to bless. No idea of the miracle of the gift that was being given. But as a seed is sown, as it's planted it grows into something. When you serve on a team here, when you give of your time in, in welcoming someone, just a welcome on the front door with a smile, you can think it's nothing, it, it doesn't mean much, but you don't know what, what, what their morning's been like, you don't know what their week's been like, and as you smile and as you greet them, as you hug them, as you offer them something on the door and you extend the love of God to them, in that moment you have the ability to, to plant a seed of a miracle in their soul because they might be coming in broken and you've, in that moment you've just created a a little glimpse of heaven. You have no idea of the miracle. that When you give up your time to serve on We Hope and you just spend an, an hour or so with the kids just blessing and laughing and playing and sharing Jesus with them, you have no idea the, the seed and the miracle that could be planted in that moment. I love the story of Billy Graham's uh, um, Sunday school teacher who shares the story and, uh, and it's a story that could be shared over and over again of different people who stand in a pulpit and share Jesus. But the, the amount of lives that were touched by Billy Graham and his Sunday school teacher once shared a story of how he, he had no idea 
what was being sown into that, into that little boy's life. And yet he went on to see multitudes, hundreds, thousands, millions of people heard the gospel because of this little boy who maybe at once upon a time was insignificant, but he's never insignificant in the eyes of God. What you give is never insignificant in the eyes of God. The little or the much is never insignificant. What you give has the potential to see a miracle come about. What, what do I mean by miracle? Quite simply this. A moment of breakthrough in the physical and spiritual that goes above and beyond what that individual was expecting or experiencing in that moment. And so we can see heaven come down. That's what we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And we could totally make it for one person. Would your will be done in this life? And as I give and as I, as I give up my time and as I speak to that person, you don't know what, convers- what the conversation might look like for you on a bus tomorrow as you go to work. And maybe you just sit down next to someone and maybe you just get out your phone and you just ignore the world as most people do when you get on a bus. But maybe you just decide to not do that and you spark up a conversation with the person next to you. You have no idea what seed of a miracle you could plant into that person's day. Every single moment of every single day has the opportunity before you to see a miracle come about. As a church, we believe in a God of miracles. We already sung a song this morning that we, we believe that we'll see you do it again. And that's, that's based on a promise that God has done stuff in the past He's broke about the miraculous in the past and we're going to see him do it again in our day today, in the days to come. You see, God has the power to do amazing things in and through us. Miracles start by each of us recognizing that what we have in our hands right now is the cause for a miracle to come about. We just need to be willing to recognize that God is in control, that sometimes we doubt. But there is always so much more that God is wanting and willing to do. Let's look at verse 12. And when they had all that they had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Point number five is that God will always show up and provide. God will always show up and provide. Sometimes not in our timing, but you know what? God is in control and he will do things in his timing. God will always show up and provide. I've been journeying with Brian and the team here ever since been looking and praying for a new building. I remember when we were back in the day before we got this building um, praying and seeking God for a building like this and then the miraculous came about and we'd stopped being a wandering church meeting in different places that was the season that I was here we were moving around different places and then we found this place and, uh, and I remember meeting in the offices just around the corner with the team uh, and Brian sharing the news hey come with me some of you may have been here at that time come with me I've got something to show you and pulled out these keys and we walked into this building and Brian shared the story of how we got this building and as a team we walked around this space and went God thank you what a miracle and now over the last seven years been praying that God would do it again because we've outgrown this space and so we're praying God would you do it again would you bring about the miraculous again and so we get to stand and gather on a day like today as Ruth celebrated and say God you've done it again a building has been provided there's a way that's been made and for us to to gather God will always show up and provide God will always show up and provide. And you know what? We need to celebrate more of that. I feel like the celebration we had earlier was a little bit half-hearted. Maybe we could try again later. But, but then, then we need to recognize, because sometimes you can only remember the, you can only recognize the miracle for what it is when you recognize the journey that you've been on. And that's what John does here in his gospel, is that he points them back to a moment in time where the miraculous needed to come about before. If you look back to verse 4, it's one throwaway line. The Jewish Passover festival was near. The Jewish Passover festival was near. John throws that in because he wants them to go, 
Do you remember when I did it before? Do you remember when I was the God of the miraculous before? If you go back to Exodus 12, I'll just read this through because we need to get this in our minds. Tell the whole community of Israel, on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for the lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each person. The animals you choose must be Uh, must be year old males without defect and you may take them for the sheep or the goats take them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides of the tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lambs that same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast do not eat of the meat raw or boiled in water but roasted over a fire with the head legs and internal organs do not leave any of it till the morning If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destruction plague will no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. God is wanting in this moment, as the moment of Passover is arriving, to remember that day. You see, sometimes you can't remember, you can't recognize and appreciate the miracle until you remember the story that you've been on. And he's saying to them, this day is coming, this Jewish Passover day is coming. John puts in his gospel for a reason. Look back to that day when the Passover took place. God is wanting to remind the people that he's been there with them in the past, that in the midst of darkness, that he rescued them, that he led them out, that that, that in the midst of their pain and slavery, God rescued them and set them on a new path. God is the one who always will show up and provide. He always shows up and provides. John 6 verse 35, Jesus says these words, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus wants us to know that the people who've come out of exile, who've been led and set free from slavery and bondage, he is the one who always provides. He is the one who always provides. I want to conclude, and we're going to wrap up. But let's remember, this morning is all about generosity. As a people, we want to live lives of, generos- gen- of generosity, giving our first and our best to the church, giving what that we have. And I'm not going to go into the principle of the tithe today, and that, that's a teaching for another time. But the Bible helps us time and time again to think about what the tithe is, giving of your 10%, your, your first and your best. It talks in the Old Testament about giving of your, your first crops. But we remember the five points from today. God is in control, but oftentimes we doubt God. But there is always more resource available. We just don't see it but we each have the means to be part of a miracle. God invites us into that. He says, we, he says, we, we must all be involved, but God will always show up and provide. If you look at the start and the end of these promises in this portion of scripture, that we see that that God is the sovereign God. He is, he, he is over all things, that there is a plan afoot when people come asking, but he knows the plan. He knows what he's going to do. You see, we're entering into an interesting time, both here in Glasgow and in Belfast, in our churches, that there's a time of new beginnings, an exciting time, but big challenges ahead. As we plant the new campus down in the south, there's big challenges ahead, resource challenges, 
generosity challenges. There's going to be need to be a team and finance released. And, and the team here will lead you through that uh, and, 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 and help you to understand how that's going to look in the coming days. I'd encourage you to go to the members meeting and, and hear all the story and the backstory and, and also hear the dreams and the plans for what's to come. But there's a journey to go on. And, and a lot of this comes down to generosity. In, in Belfast, we're looking for a new building. And, and with that comes a resource challenge creating new space but all of this is us trusting in God that God is in control but also we need to recognize that in the whole process of this that we can doubt God and say God is this part of your plan but there is always more resource available we each have the means to be part of the miracle the miracle is there with you in your hands and God will always show up and provide you see when doubt comes and you and when you question God in this moment and you start to think that you know best because trust me you will start to think that you know best but you've got to trust in God in this moment that God is the one in control. We can never outgive God. This is the really important thing that I want to kind of land on now, that we can never outgive God. God is a generous God who sent his one and only son out of a heart of generosity because he wants you to come into relationship with him. That he created all things. The air that you breathe is a gift for you to enjoy. He sent his one and only son into the midst of a broken world. Jesus, Jesus willingly, generously sacrificed himself on the cross, submitting to the will of the Father, dying a sinless life for sinners like you and me, granting us forgiveness. This is all generosity. This is bathed in his generous heart. And so as we give through our time, our talent, our, our, our money, whatever it is that we decide to give, that we're giving back to God for all that he has already given to us, whether it's little or whether it's much. I want to close this morning with a story of a life of one that I'm so challenged by. Um, it's the life of John Wesley. For those of you who know him, he's a, a famous Methodist preacher from back in the 1700s. And he lived by this simple maxim, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. During his lifetime, he gave away approximately 30,000 pounds. Now that's not much in today's money, but if you equate it to today's money, it's about one and a half million. He gave it all away. The genesis for Wesley's generosity was a covenant he made with God in 1731. And he decided to limit his expenses so that he had more margin to give. His income ceiling was 28 pounds. That first year, John Wesley made only 30 pounds. And so he gave God two pounds. The next year, his income doubled. And because he managed to continue living at 28 pounds, he was able to give away 32 pounds. In the third year, his income increased to 90 pounds, but he kept his expenses flat at 28 pounds, and so he was able to give away even more. Wesley's goal was always to give away all excess income after bills, every single penny of it. After bills were paid for and his family's needs were met, he never had more than 100 pounds in his possession because he was afraid of storing up earthly treasure. He believed that God's blessing should result in us not raising our standard of living, but raising our standard of generosity and giving. What a challenge that is. That he had this, this, this margin of what he lived by and then the rest of it, he just gave it away. Not storing up treasures for himself on earth. You know, how, what a countercultural mindset that is. Compare that to our consumeristic, individualistic, driven mindset where you've got to have the latest and the greatest in order to seem meaningful and to have a meaningful life. Me, 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 more, 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 the culture driven by that mindset. But that was so different to what Wesley had. I'm going to end with these two quotes, then we're going to pray. The grace of God 
The goodness of God is made visible when the people of God, that's you and me, begin to live with an open-handed understanding that all we have and all that we are does not come from ourselves. We need to see that we are not the owner of anything, but rather we are stewards of all that God has given to us. We are stewards of everything that God has given to us. And the final quote is one by C.S. Lewis, who had this line that I want to end with. He said this, Don't shine so that others can see you. Shine so that through you others can see him. And we could look at that a different way, and we could say, Don't be generous so that others can see you. You're not being generous in your time, your, your money, and, and, and what you can give so that others can look at you and go, wow, isn't that person amazing? They, they did that this week. Aren't they just wonderful? You're not doing it for that end. You're doing it for the end so that others would know him. Don't be generous so that others can see you. Be generous so that through you, others can see him. In all that we do, we want to point people to Jesus. So I've got three challenges for you this week. Number one, in your prayers, thank God for what you have and pray for those who are less fortunate. Both less fortunate in this city, but also in the world, remembering that you are, you are wealthy. You have means in which to give away. Number two, spend time considering what you have. Finances, gifts, heartfelt desires, and think through ways that you could offer them up in service to God. Number three, put these thoughts into action. Don't just think about them and dwell on them, but actually come and talk to someone here on staff, talk to an elder and think through how you can do it. But the fourth one, I didn't realize you were about to do this, which is great, generosity week. Put this into practice in the generosity week. Who can you serve? Who can you love? Who in your workplace can you just bless and anoint and just love on them just for the pure sake of showing them Jesus? Friends, we want to be generous so that we can see the miraculous break forth across these lands, so that we can see the name of Jesus made known in these days, in these times. Thank you.